The scripture reading this morning comes from the New Testament. We're going to be reading from the book of 1 Thessalonians, an epistle of Paul. If you are willing and able, please stand in honor of God's word. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 12. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, thanks, Bessie. Maybe I should change the new emphasis of the passage, mind your own business. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I like that. Um, hey, guys, my name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, so good to be with you. Um, so good to be preaching on this Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. And a um, special, ha- special happy Mother's Day to my mom, who's, uh, who's here. She's usually with us online, but she's with us here in the flesh. And so, uh, so, glad, so glad you're here. Hey, today we are going to continue our series um, on Jesus and money. Uh, We're diving, and and doing so, we're diving into the topic of work, uh, something that deeply affects our relationship with money, right? Even even though work often feels like just a way to earn a paycheck, I want us to see that it's so much more than that. But like most of you, I personally wrestle with the meaning of work in light of my faith. Uh, Early in my adult adult life, I saw this strict divide between the sacred and the secular. After college, I planned to go to seminary and to dedicate my life to full-time ministry, um, and then I got married and didn't have any money. So to solve my newfound no-money problem, I took a temporary job. Uh, it was supposed to be a pit stop, uh, but it ended up being a destination uh, when I discovered like a surprising passion for my work. I was enjoying the challenges and fulfillment of my, my secular job as much as I was the sacred work of ministry. And then fast forward today where I find myself wearing two hats. I'm like co-shepherding this vibrant, growing church that I hold dear to my heart and I love so much. And I'm also managing this, again, secular job or this job in the community that's, demand, that's more demanding um, and challenging than I ever expected. And at times, the tensions between these two worlds, uh, they can get really intense for me. The seemingly separate forces of Pastor Mark and Analyst Mark. Um, some of you know Analyst Mark. He's a great guy. He's just a little more mathy than Pastor Mark. The, that, that sacred Mark and the secular Mark, right, sometimes feel like they're going to rip me in two. Uh, this struggle for integration, though, for unity within myself, that's part of what I'm bringing into this space today. Maybe you're feeling the same way. And I believe, I have to believe that in the midst of this tension, that there's a deeper truth to discover about the role of work in our lives. We started this church um, practicing with the mission of practicing the way of Jesus together for the renewal of all things. But how can work, which just so often feels like a necessary evil of life, fit into that vision? 
Today, I want us to see that in the scriptures, work is more than just a way to earn money. It is a means through which we can experience God's gift of flourishing and bring renewal into the world. So will you pray with me before we get started? God, we pray for your presence. Spirit, we pray for your presence here this morning. May we walk in the way of Jesus who brings renewal to all things. Show us, show us what it means to work in your kingdom, to be your divine image bearers and to, and to share the good gifts that you give us with others. And so um, for, these specific, for the specific applications for each one of us, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us, that you would show us, show us exactly where work brings redemption in our life. Amen. All right, so first, work is a gift from God. For those of you note takers, work is a gift from God. It's essential to our flourishing, and it's a means of, per- of personal and communal-, communal renewal. The right place to start with an examin- examination of work is at the very beginning. So Tim Keller says that the Bible starts talking about work as soon as it starts talking about anything else. Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The universe is an overflow of work. God is the first worker. He created the universe out of the overflow of his love and beauty. And it's in his very image that God created man and woman. Scripture teaches that as his image bearers, we contain his love and abil- love for and ability to work and create and cultivate. God gave Adam the labor of tending the garden, right? Before sin, before the fall, before brokenness, man was working and cultivating God's creation. In paradise, we were working. And so work is an essential part of human flourishing. It's woven into the very fabric of our being as a testament of the divine image that is imprinted on us from the first worker himself. And so this divine, this divine design for our work is reflected in what Paul is teaching us in 1 Thessalonians 4. In the letter, Paul's addressing an issue that has arisen in the church where some believers were hurting the church's reputation by refusing to work and relying on wealthier Christians to provide for them. So Paul describes then for them what a holy life actually looks like to make it their ambition to lead a quiet, holy life and work with their hands. He's telling the church to engage in honest vocations that use their particular skills and experiences. An idle life just isn't an option for Paul. Why is that? Because to reject work is to reject a key aspect of our God-given humanity. Work, it allows us to utilize our unique talents to serve others and to contribute to the common good. Therefore, work in its highest form is not merely an obligation, but it's a profound source of dignity, and it's a signal to our inherent worth. We feel this, right? When we talk to someone who has lost a job or is unable to work, you see it in them. That loss of work brings a loss of meaning, of satisfaction, and identity that they so desperately long for. So all work is valuable. Work is so valuable that it becomes a part of our identity. We'll see how we can take this too far when we talk about brokenness here in a little bit, but it's worth noting that throughout Scripture, people are identified by their work. Peter the fisherman, Lydia the purple cloth seller, Paul, Priscilla, Aquila, the tent makers, 
Nehemiah the cupbearer to the king, and Jesus himself was referred to as the carpenter, right? We each have our own unique calling too. Whether you're a farmer, you're an office worker, a teacher, you're a parent, a caregiver, a pastor, any other role, your work does matter. That's like a really important point. All work is valuable. You know, we're in this series on money, and thanks to the lessons that were taught by our capitalistic culture, we can make this erroneous connection between the value and dignity of work, of work and the monetary rewards that it brings. Right? But God, God doesn't, care, doesn't seem to care about our pay grades as much as we do. If you think about it, the quiet diligence of a janitor matters as much to God as the decisions of a CEO. The loving patience of a caregiver is seen by God as much as the skills of a surgeon are. Because it is in the everyday faithfulness of our work that we participate in God's work of renewal. So this gives us the insight that we need to hear Paul's command in Colossians 3. He says this, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And then back to 1 Thessalonians 4, in our passage, you'll notice that Paul doesn't focus on financial gain from work. Instead, he provides a countercultural narrative about wealth and status. Paul tells, tells them to live a quiet life, to mind their own business, right? To, to, to live a quiet life, one that is marked by humility and, and godliness, not striving for status or influence. Because our goal isn't to accumulate riches or power. Our goal is to bring renewal to our communities, to discover our individual, how our individual giftings fit into God's renewing work. Dan Doriani says that for each person, the goal, the ideal, is to serve God with your highest and rarest gift. And so when, we work, when, we, when work becomes about the kingdom ambition, not about personal ambition, we begin to make career choices differently, right? Many of you, many of you could do a lot of jobs, uh, but a Christian view of work asks what God has specifically gifted you for and then pursues that calling wholeheartedly. This is how we respond to God's invitation to participate in his ongoing work of renewal. But, but here's the reality, right? Work, though a gift from God, it doesn't always feel like a gift. Sometimes it's just the source of the Sunday scaries. Have you heard of those? Big deal around here. Looming over us, like with this sense of dread and anxiety. Um, at times it can be tedious, exhausting, even downright soul-crushing. If work is such a divine gift, why does it often feel like a curse? I'm glad you asked. That's my next section. Um, I just titled this section, Thorns Everywhere, right? The brokenness of work. Some of you are like, hey, man, next section. I get it. Why is work so hard? And like, why does it seem that like every good endeavor is just met with obstacles in every way? Again, we go back to the beginning and we see that brokenness and work comes from the sin of Adam and Eve. Uh, they get a preview of what's going to happen when God tells them after they sin. He says this to Adam. Because you listened to your wife and ate from the fruit of the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat it. He says, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. 
By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. The curse of sin is literally against work itself. That's how integral it is to our joy and our flourishing. We've inherited the fall of Adam, and our labor has gone from joyful to toilsome, from abundantly fruitful to full of thorns. Like I said, many of us, they just say, amen, there are thorns everywhere. Defiant kids, uncooperative weather, inadequate tools, fractured relationships, broken coffee machines, stress, discrimination, injustice, lack of resources. Right? We all feel the thorns of the fall stabbing our hands every single day. Work has been broken. If there are any Christian teachings that are just universal and accepted throughout the world, this has to be one of them. Work is broken and hard. And the corruption of work is so pervasive that it seeps into nearly every asset of our lives, aspect of our lives, staining the very threads that bind us to ourselves, to others, and to God. It distorts our relationships with rest, our perception of self-worth, and our understanding of money. So let's look at that. We're going to look at some of the ways that broken work hurts these different relationships. So first, our relationship to God. Even as redeemed people, the brokenness of work continues to fracture our relationship with God. I talked about this before, but we've been indoctrinated to believe that there is a separation between the sacred and the secular, between sacred work and secular work. This sort of thinking literally divides our thoughts, and it leads us to believe that like, the secular work that we do, the daily work that we do, is of very little interest to God. And when we believe that, all of a sudden, the, time when you, the most time that you spend in your waking moments gets ripped from under the kingdom of heaven and shoved under the kingdom of this world, right? It goes from the kingdom of God to the kingdom of the secular, and it breaks our relationship with God even further. It also breaks our relationship with ourselves. So many of us struggle deeply with finding our ultimate worth and work. We think that our value is somehow defined by our accomplishments and that our worth is wrapped up in the things that we produce. But come on, it just leads to more anxiety and personal turmoil, right? Uh, I'm, I'm going into territories that I'm not familiar with here, but have you heard of this TikTok trend? It's, uh, it's called Bare Minimum Mondays. It's not to be confused with phone it in Fridays. Anybody, anybody heard of Bare Minimum Mondays? Well, it's exactly what it sounds like. Okay, so people are citing the, to- the toll of workplace-induced anxiety that it's taking on them, so they're publicly easing into the work week at their own pace. It's, and I don't, how they're documenting this on TikTok, I'm like not exactly sure, but it's, I've heard, there's a, there's, it, they say it's a trend right now, is the Bare Minimum Mondays. Yeah, but isn't that what we get as a culture for just creating a world where we tell people that their worth and identity comes from their work? A work that we know from Scripture is going to be hard and broken and at many times fruitless. It's literally depressing us. And broken work also brings brokenness in our, in our relationship with others. When we're fighting for a scarcity of money and validation, it won't take long before rivalries and dissensions break out. In fact, it takes about two verses after work is cursed for the first workplace rivalry to erupt. In Genesis Genesis 4, Cain and Abel, they both bring offerings to God. You know, let's let's say this. They're making their pitches to the ultimate CEO, 
And God prefers Abel's offering over Cain's. He picks Abel's, he picks Abel's project instead. And this upsets Cain so much, he feels so angry and so downcast that he lures Abel into a field and kills him. Other than the murder, at the, at this, this, role, this story really ends, ends up reading like a workplace drama, right? At work, originally intended to bring us together in mutual effort and share goals, it becomes a battleground. It turns siblings into rivals, teams into competitors, and communities into factions. Right? Our work is breaking our relationship, or the brokenness of work breaks our relationship with others. And it breaks our relationship with rest itself. On the one hand, the difficulty of work demotivates us and can lead to procrastination and laziness. See bare minimum Mondays. Um, but this was part of the issue with Thessalonica, right? When Paul repeatedly commands them to work and to contribute to the community. And just as often, probably more often, if we're being honest, especially with this, with this group, our work gets in the way of rest. We live in, in an age with phrases like hustle culture, right, that, over, that glorify wor- overwork and burnout. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal this week where the title says it all. Young workers value work-life balance. They're just bad at it. We, we talk a big game about rest, yet many of us really just keep overworking. Here's a quote from the article. This is, shows us how much of a mess we really are. Plenty of people feign work-life balance. They make a show of setting limits or post recreational photos on social media to suggest that they have robust personal lives when, in reality, they're just as consumed by their jobs as everyone else. Even our culture, that we, they, they want rest, and they, we cannot do it as a culture. And this leads me to the last broken relationship, which is that to money and value. The money we receive from work changes the way that we value ourselves, and it changes the way that we value others, and not for the better. We, we are reduced from image bearers to numbers that are valued by the market. And as such, we hoard our wealth because it's ours. Like, we earned it. Our bosses said, I was worth this much. I did this much overtime. I closed this deal. And we hoard our wealth because it's ours. The world said we are worth this much. And no wonder Paul says that money is the root of all kinds of evil. What can rescue us from this? What can rescue us from this, right? We are lulled into just going about our work day after day and many times not asking how it is redeemed by Jesus. You'll go to work on Monday, mostly because that's where you went to work on Friday, right? Or because you're going to get fired if you don't show up, which is a fine reason, good reason to do something. Keep going. But that kind of momentum and habit drives so much of our choices around work that even though we spend most of our lives working, Right? We're, just, we're just in this lull day after day. And today, the Spirit, I believe, wants to break your pattern of unwittingly submitting to the thorns. He wants to show you a better way of flourishing in God's kingdom here and now. So that brings us to this. Renewed work brings renewal. Again, at Trinity, we say that we are practicing the way of Jesus together for the renewal of all things. This renewal is the work that God is doing to make all things new. And this especially means our work. Jesus, who died with the crown of thorns, 
and rose victoriously from the grave will one day fully put to death the thorniness of our labor. And on that day, we will see the full beauty of our work. This resurrected life with Christ is the reason that Paul tells the church in Thessalonica to shift their mindset about work. This shift rejects the world's view of work and embraces the flourishing that's available to us in Christ. So here's like a few mind shifts put into action. The first one, from a sacred-secular divide to holistic, integrated lives. Do you feel like your life is just like completely disintegrated? That your, work, that your life with Christ and the work that you do on a daily basis couldn't possibly be woven together? That your work is for money, for approval, or for security, but it's never an intentional act of worship that, that brings joy and flourishing to you and your communities. Hear this. Jesus wants a better way for you. He's made a better way for you. The calling of your vocation, it is sacred. Your work is holy and meaningful. Our task, our invitation is to ask God to show us that meaning, to give us his spirit to find the holiness in every moment, to see how our work brings flourishing, to see our opportunity to bless and to elevate our coworkers, to fight against systems of injustice, to speak order into chaos. Your vocation is holy. And every day you plant seeds in Christ's kingdom, whether or not you see it. May you be blessed then by discovering how as the smallest seeds, they become a magnificent tree, the labor of your work will be fully realized one day in the new heavens and the new earth. And then from pursuit, from individual pursuit to community renewal. When we focus fully on ourselves, uh, we become self-centered and self-seeking consumers. Just what our culture wants from us. Buy some more, think about number one, right? But when we seek our work as bringing renewal to the community, we discover then, as Jesus said, that it's better to give than to receive. I think a simple way to bring renewal in your workplace is through prayer. Right? So like when a coworker disrespects you, silently pray a blessing over them. I've got a friend that when he's in, stuck in a thorny situation, just quickly prays for the Spirit's presence and asks for God help, God's help. Like, you didn't leave the Spirit in the car with you in the parking lot before you walked into work, right? He's there with you at work. And the renewing work of Jesus applies to every inch of the universe. The Father knew what your day was going to be like far before you were even born, so your invitation then is to practice his presence in the workplace. And just a great way to do that and to bless others is just to incorporate little prayers in your work throughout the day. Bless your enemies. Pray over thorny situations. Give it a shot. It's really good. And then from overworking to working from rest. Our culture worships overworking and praises the overachieving workaholic. But scripture teaches a better way. Ecclesiastes tells us that joy comes from a healthy balance between work and rest. So listen to Ecclesiastes 4. And I saw that all toil and all achievement 
spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. That picture, one hand working and one hand full of rest, that is the way of Jesus. Like that is the balanced life. That means finding the right balance for your own specific calling. A question I have for you is just what would your life look like? What would it look like for you to have a handful of work and a handful of rest, to have that balance that, that we all long for? That is, that is the way of Christ. And then finally, Christ moves us from insecurity to safety. Broken work, it tempts us with emotional and material safety, but it's a trap, right? We are tricked into thinking that in our work we'll find the validation and security that we need to make us happy, but that is just a cruel snare. I see this all the time professionally. I see it myself. When someone finds wholeness in work or money, it is always a path to ruin. Sometimes it takes longer than others. Sometimes it's more visible, but it is always a path to ruin. It self-implodes. It can destroy careers, relationships, families, their mental health. It destroys the exact things that it promises to secure for them. But Christ has a better way for us. We can work from a sense of safety and with an eternal perspective. Your large deal, it might blow up. Uh, Your colleagues can turn on you. They will turn on you. You can be denied that pay raise. But none of these things can separate you from the love of God. You're a chosen, loved, forever child of the creator of the universe. Nothing can change that. Take that into work tomorrow, right? You want an advantage over your coworkers? Like that's something your peers don't have. It's the security and eternal love of the God of the universe. And it's this kind of security and eternal perspective that can free us from rivalries, fear of hoping in material things. True security, it's not in work, it's not in material things, it's not in status. It is only in the loving arms of the Father. I want to make one more note here just about your personal calling. It's very possible that some of you here are just not in the right job. Um, You're bored at work, you hate your job, you're just working for the money. Um, I want to encourage you to consider what ambitiously leading a kingdom life looks like for you and for your vocation. Talk to a pastor, talk to your CG leader, maybe talk to someone in the church that you see is doing work that you might find renewing and redeeming and fulfilling. But I want you to examine that, like, am I following the Lord's calling in my vocation? And we really encourage you to bring your community into these decisions and not process them alone. Because there is no work outside the scope of God's redeeming work. If you work at a nonprofit, in the schools, as a parent, as a caregiver, in medicine, as a mechanic, deep in the bowels of a faceless corporation, your work is in the crosshairs of God's renewing mission. Many of you, you speak order into chaos every single day. The moment of joy that you have when the numbers balance, uh, a project is completed, or when you elevate your colleagues' work, in those moments, your image-bearing nature is shining just a little bit brighter. When you raise the dignity of another by caring for them, by teaching them, listening to them, 
treating them with the love of God, or healing them, you are pushing back on the curse and you are ushering in Christ's kingdom. When you contribute to our community by stewarding God's creation, producing food or building a home, you aren't merely doing a job. You are participating in the divine work of renewal. Work is not a curse. It's a gift from God. As we close today, I want to encourage us all to stop, take a breath, and ask the Spirit to show us where renewal is available to us in our work. Just a couple questions for you. Where can you find renewal in your work today? What does it mean to ambitiously lead a quiet life, a holy life, and to work with your hands? That is to to work according to the giftings that God has given you. What does it mean for you to ambitiously lead a quiet life and work with your hands? And then how in your specific vocation can you work for renewal both personally and communally? I want to encourage you that your work does matter no matter what it is. The opportunity for each of us is to discover our calling to ambitiously lead a quiet life and work with our hands out of love for the Lord and for each other. God wants you to flourish where you are and to grow into the plan that he has for you. He wants both. He wants to flourish now and to grow into that plan. Our invitation then is to discover the way that he's bringing renewal in us and in our work. Will you pray with me? Spirit, we, we, we just ask that you would open our eyes to the kingdom of Christ. That you would make every work holy. That when we are struggling with the toils and thorns of this world, that we would stop that we would receive your presence and that we would, we would pray, Jesus, that you would pray for us, that, that we might see that work is a gift from God, that, that it is a means of renewal both personally and communally. I pray for, pray for those who are maybe in jobs where uh, they are barely holding on or they're bored or they hate it, that, that work is just like mostly a curse, we ask, Jesus, that you would both bring renewal within themselves uh, and that also that you, would, that you would show them opportunities to flourish further, to, uh, to, to, to bring your kingdom in uh, to this world today. And finally, I pray for hope. I pray for the hope that we who are laboring would know that our labor in Christ is not in vain. But just as the mustard seed becomes the largest of all the plants in the garden, the seeds of our work will grow and flourish in the new kingdom, the new heavens, and the new earth. So encourage us with that spirit, we pray.